thank you for listening to the Thanks I Quit podcast from CityWire. Today, our guest is Oliver Carius, who is the head of LGT's Venture Philanthropy Division. Um, Oliver, the first question I have for you is, what is Venture Philanthropy? Good morning, Fergus. Thank you very much for, for the uh, invitation. So Venture Philanthropy is an approach that deploys strategic capital into scalable organizations that generate high environmental and social impact. The approach has been around for around 20 years, and it differs to charity and impact investing in that philanthropy really seeks to, uh, or venture philanthropy really seeks to deploy capital and strategic support directly into organizations uh, in emerging markets. So it's a very hands-on approach. Um, and it seeks the whole philosophy is to help organizations uh, strengthen organizations so that they can grow, deploy their strategy and achieve higher impact. Okay. And what does venture philanthropy mean to you personally? Well, for me personally, I've been on a, on a journey, passionate around sustainable development since my days at school. I think it probably started with the ozone layer and I was uh, or trying to solve the problem with the ozone layer. And, and I was looking for this whole journey on sustainable development, really looking for different approaches that divert capital into new solutions um, and, and venture philanthropy is an interesting approach because it allows you to strategically understand some of the bigger environmental and social challenges and, and then look for scalable solutions uh, to meet those, whether that's in community healthcare, whether that's in environmental destruction. And because of the venture philanthropy approach, you are able to combine sort of private sector approaches uh, with uh, long-term financing uh, to really maximize social impact. And I think that's a, a very unique combination from an approach which I personally find uh, challenging and enjoy doing a lot with my team on behalf of the princely family of Liechtenstein. And so to be clear with your venture philanthropy work, is it something that aims to generate a return like impact investing or is it a wholly charitable endeavor? So I would say over the last 20 years, we've seen a very interesting development of different approaches. I mean, you have mainstream investing and then I mean, ethical investing emerged even 30, 40 years ago. We then had the whole aspect of ESG and sustainable investing, starting integrating material aspects into the investment decision. Uh, and impact investing is a relatively recent phenomena. I think it was only coined in 2007. And if you then continue along that spectrum, venture philanthropy actually is an approach that does, does not seek to uh, return any financial returns. It's really the, the deployment of grants and other in instruments to really support the growth of organizations. And then the final along the spectrum would be charity. So you can actually sort of plot it out if you say, on the one hand, you're trying to maximize for social returns uh, versus maximizing for financial returns. And in that middle, you have a whole spectrum of different approaches. And venture philanthropy is, is one approach that uses uh, charitable, in our case, um, charitable grants to deploy strategically into organizations. Um, and why I say organizations, this is dif different in the sense to, to traditional charitable giving, which might be you know, very short term in the, in, into individual projects um, that don't provide long term strategic funding.
Okay, so it is, I guess, in some sense, a different approach to being a charitable investor, but but not in terms of investing to make yourself money. It, it's like being a kind of, it's a more engaged way of contributing to charitable organizations, you might say. Charitable organizations, yes, charitable organizations, but also social enterprises with a non-revenue generating business model. Uh, and I think if, if one looks at this financial return spectrum around financial risk and financial returns, and if we add a third dimension called impact to that, um, and if we as a foundation do not have a financial return objective, then we can actually use grants as a fairly rare, scarce form of capital to, to drive and maximize for social outcomes. And that takes that requires a more strategic approach to traditional charitable giving. Um, and it allows to actually invest directly and support organizations and not just projects. So it's, it's a, a more diverse toolbox, if you will, along this whole spectrum of, of di uh, different approaches. Okay. And uh, what does your current role entail, perhaps on a day-by-day -day basis? So LGT Venture Philanthropy was set up in, in 2007. Uh, by the Prince, uh, Prince Max and the Princely family of, of Liechtenstein and is supported by LGT. Uh, we are an international private banking and asset management group um, that has grown over the years to around 300 billion under assets under management with 4,000 employees across um, 20 locations. LGT Venture Philanthropy Foundation is the foundation that I manage globally. Uh, we are an independent charitable foundation as part of the LGT family, if you, if you will. And what I do on a day-to-day -day basis is essentially manage and work together very closely with my local teams in Africa and in India on portfo uh, portfolio identification, um, doing the due diligence, and supporting these organizations and, and working with them for the long term. So taking board positions, working on strategy, fundraising, partnerships, uh, etc. So that's our core work. We ha also have set up a fellowship program, which looks to bring people with relevant business expertise into our port portfolio organization. And this is a critical element of non-financial support. And then thirdly, we have a very strong interface, of course, into LGT and work with our colleagues from the LGT philanthropy advisory team who work with clients to help clients develop high impact philanthropy strategies. So we have multiple different uh, core activities that we do. Okay, so then you use a combination of financing from the LGT Princely family and from LGT clients as well. Yes. At the, well, at the moment, it is primarily from the Princely family and from LGT. Um, over, over time, we will be expanding our offering uh, to also include LGT clients. Correct. Yes. Okay. Do you have a rough time frame for that or not? We are always open for external donations and, and support, of course, as, a, as an independent foundation. I think LGT has embarked on a very interesting journey over the last 10, 15 years in integrating sustainability across a whole range of private banking and asset management investment offerings. And with this new philanthropy advisory offering that LGT launched last year, I do see more inbound requests from, from clients and potential donors into the portfolio organizations that we support. 
think an, an important aspect of our work is that because we primarily deploy the capital of the princely family, we are building out or have built out a, a very and high impact portfolio and that we can offer to our clients. So as such, we, we are not, we are different maybe to other foundations. We are not the, implementing the, the philanthropy of a client, but we're offering a portfolio through which a client can become active in his or her philanthropy. And would you be able to give us some examples of who you have worked with and how it has worked out? Yes, of course. I think the best way to start is to start from our mission, which basically includes to improve quality of life of people with disadvantages, to contribute to healthy ecosystems and to build resilient, inclusive and prosperous communities. That's the mission of LGD Venture Philanthropy. Uh, as I mentioned, our core focus is, is to strengthen capabilities of organizations. And thematically, we have picked out three thematic areas in which we are building out or have built out our target portfolios. One is um, healthcare, and there we focus on primary healthcare in, in Africa and, uh, and India. That's access to basic healthcare. The second pillar is education where we focus on access to quality education in the early childhood development approach, primary education and skills development. And then we have a third pillar called the environment, where it's to protect and regenerate ecosystems, where we focus on uh, conservation approaches, uh, carbon financing and, and communities support. And maybe I can pick out a, one or two examples to illustrate how, how we've worked um, and from our portfolio to illustrate our approach. So if we take uh, education, for instance, there is a um, strong evidence that strengthening girls' education has huge social, uh, social impacts, not, not, not only on the lives of the, the girls, but on their families and, and wider society. Uh, and one of our portfolio organizations, Educate Girls, has been working in, in rural India for the last over 10 years now, um, looking to convince rural communities to send girls to school, which is not an easy feat to accomplish given the kind of cultural barriers that you are facing sometimes in, in rural India. But Safina Hussein, the CEO of Educate Girls, has worked on an approach where they actively embrace and work with local communities to convince them to send the girls to school. And then once the girls are actually in school, there's a strong focus on improving the, uh, the school's infrastructure and curriculum. And now the third iteration of their model is to actually focus on educational outcomes, which is the ultimate mid-impact uh, in India. And they are reaching over 2 million girls annually uh, and expanding rapidly across India. And given their size, have also embraced, uh, embraced uh, data, social data, uh, and impact data in their decision making, because of course we're all in the philanthropic sector working under resource constraints to help them make more educated uh, decisions about wh which dollars to deploy where to, to really achieve this social outcome. And they are working hand in glove with, with local schools of governments. You mentioned uh, the partnerships being important and also that you have teams in Africa and in India. How important do you think it is that you sort of sitting in Europe when you're working with charitable 
organizations and foundations and companies of this nature in India defer sometimes to the local expertise and make sure you're not saying, oh, I know everything sitting here with all the money in Europe? I think that's a, a very pertinent question and, and one that, that is, I think, very, very important for, for, for generally for our sector, but also I think generally for the, the impact sector or the development aid sector as well. And what we've seen is, is a trend that actually starts with interviewing, understanding what the beneficiaries really need on the ground. Uh, and then to, to reverse engineer the model that delivers those services that these, uh, that these communities actually need. So what we've done in our portfolio is to work with an organization called 60 Decibels, for instance, that deploys a lean data approach that interviews um, beneficiaries on the ground and ask them to what extent their quality of life has actually improved through one of our portfolio organization. So that's, I think, a, a very Im important uh, input both for our portfolio organizations, but more importantly, also for us as a, as a donor and funder to understand whether that portfolio organization is really developed, uh, delivering that impact. And more importantly, what those local communities um, really need and what the beneficiaries really need. So it's not, we are not thematic experts. We are not developing any new technologies here in Zurich or wherever it might be, and then flying down to Africa and India and wanting to deploy those technologies. That's not how we work, right? We, with our teams on the ground, we make sure that we're very close to our portfolio organizations and, and spend up just between six and nine months on due diligence to understand whether that business model and the impact theses and theory, theories of change of our portfolio organization is, is really robust and whether they have a scalable model. Uh, and there we then integrate those insights from these independent surveys as, as well into the support uh, of the organization. And that's one way where we all learn. I think I'm, I'm a firm believer of uh, more uh, supporting models and, and learning from those models that it becomes more circular. And, and we are ultimately here to support our portfolio organizations. Uh, and they know best because they're locally rooted. So they tell us what they need. And one example has been COVID, uh, where we were able to pivot very quickly from our existing grants, for instance, and pivot them to the actual need of the local organization uh, in a very short amount of time, because they came back to us and said, look, given the changing circumstances and the challenges we're facing, we would like to re redeploy your, your grant towards these areas and because we've been working with them for a long time we have a very strong trust so we can we could uh, pivot very quickly and avail those funds so that they can react and i think that's that's really important that's been part of our dna for the last 15 years and you also you said you have teams in africa and india how how do those work are they people directly employed by lgt or is this more organizations that you work with no, so the, the, the local teams are uh, working 100% for us, for our foundation, um, employed by us. At the moment, we have a team of in total of, of 14, uh, of which the majority actually work in Africa and India. And I've always been a firm believer of diversity in the team. So our, our team comes where we have 11 nationalities in the team, for one, but only a whole range of, of different backgrounds from management consulting uh, to private sector expertise, to re research sciences. Uh, we even had a philosopher once in our team. And I think this kind of multidimensional <laughs> um, lens is really important, right? Because it's um, about the collective taking those decisions. And the team here in Zurich is responsible for the interface into LGT, which is critical. 
um, and we basically managed the, the, the backend uh, controlling communications, etc., out of Zurich. And we have the, the thematic heads here as well, because to your earlier question on partnerships, it is, of course, to work hand in glove with local part, local organizations, but also with local um, foundations. Um, but more importantly, they're also, of course, international foundations. And so we reach out more internationally and then bring them together with um, the teams on the ground as well. You said that you have worked with some of these partners for a long time. How how long how long is a long time? And do you regularly pick up new people um, that to be partners, or do you? Yeah, how does that work? So I would say some of our portfolio organisations we've been supporting for over ten years. I mentioned Educate Girls in India, or another one is Mothers to Mothers. And the reason why we're supporting is is them uh, them is that they're their theory of change has evolved over time and their strategy. So as I mentioned, Educate Girls, you know, starting initially with trying to convince families to send girls in rural communities into school, they're now focusing on actually edu educational outcomes at the school level. Uh, in the case of Mothers to Mothers, that is now operating across 10 countries uh, in, in sub-Saharan Africa, they're working with, um, or mental mothers are working with HIV pregnant mothers to deliver healthy babies but over years, what they've seen, of course, is that you can then start working with the children and the families as well to provide other services to ensure um, high-quality healthcare for those for those communities. So not only have they expanded geographically, but they have also expanded in, in their footprint and are offering a very interesting platform. So our funding, we're now in our say fourth funding cycle of three years with them. Um, has, has always been tailored around the specific needs of that organization. So we are not a traditional funder that provides purely operational funding to keep the lights on, but is really there uh, in a, it's unrestricted core funding so that the organization can use that funding to take strategic decisions and deploy that funding to help them scale up their business model. Both of those that you mentioned have quite a clear gender focus is that a personal conviction of yours is that someone else in the team said it's very important to have some organizations specifically focusing on women no it's it's not a it's not anyone in the team uh, i i think what we've learned from uh, grameen foundation you know this first of all it's it's around local communities um and i we, we see this in the emergence of the awareness of local communities being actually involved in deploying those solutions. Um, post the Glasgow conference on climate change, that suddenly there's, you know, the, the international, we're all waking up that actually indigenous people and local communities are a, a huge part of the solution and they've had not had the, res the respective voice uh, at the table to deploy those. And if you look at the makeup of those communities and those are decision makers in those communities, predominantly women. And we have a interesting some some stats on our portfolio. So in total, we reached around nine million. Our organization directly reached around nine million beneficiaries. And if if I look at our the makeup of our current portfolio, is that um, over fifty percent are have women who are employed at these organizations, uh, and forty five percent actually have women in senior positions across the whole organization, starting from the board, senior management, uh, and so for us, those metrics are really important um, also to ensure alignment. And it's something that we keep a very close eye on. I wouldn't say that we have an explicit gender lens, but of course, when you start 
when our portfolio organizations work in those local communities, that gender piece is extremely important. And we want to make sure then through our work with our organizations that that's continually expanded in the organization. There's also been, in terms of the sort of, I guess, scene of philanthropy as well, there have been some people have been saying, oh, you know, philanthropy, some people even think it's a scam. You know, they say, oh, it's just wealthy people trying to buy off everyone's approval of them or trying to make people think they're nice while they go and do bad things. What's your perspective on people who see the world of philanthropy as a whole in that way? I think it, that would be very much looking at the world in black and white terms. Um, and I would argue that there are many more different shades of gray. If, if one looks at the overall philanthropy sector, first of all, it's, it has its complete kind of cultural lenses, of course, and, and personal motivations, why people um, choose to become support charities or become active in, in philanthropy. I would say between 80, 80% maybe of philanthropic giving actually is, is relatively, they're relatively small tickets, um, very short-term or more short-term short focused, long uh, focused on projects in the near vicinity because philanthropy also means that you would like to be close to where the impact is being achieved. And I assume what, what you referenced there is, of course, the big names in philanthropy on the Giving Pledge and, and, and others, whether it's, it's Bezos that has come out um, just recently, of course, they're very important because they can take the sums are, are significant, of course, um, and they can go into into areas that maybe others wouldn't necessarily want to go into. Um, but I do send, see a trend in philanthropy more to um, institutional building, more long term funding, more focused on, on actually strengthening the organization capabilities. And there, I'd say globally is a small group of 20 to 30 percent globally of philanthropists are in that camp uh, and i would count us in that camp because our theory of change is very much around strengthening organizations and not writing uh, relatively small checks that are important of course um, to alleviate human suffering or to, to support cultural endeavors etc but again for me it's it's a spectrum and um, one could be cynical but i think if we look at the challenges that we need to that we are collectively working on one of them being the SDGs, then there's not enough philanthropy, strategic philanthropy happening in my mind. You talked earlier a bit about the importance of having different people who had had different kinds of jobs in your team. I saw that you've spent quite a lot of time in research and consultant positions. Did those vary, very, very significantly from what you do now? And which lessons did you take from them that are helpful to you in your current role? So I briefly touched on my passion for sustainable development during my, my early uh, kind of school years. And uh, my background is also mixed in a way because I, I started my studies in, in architecture and then finished my first degree in, in biology in Germany. And as a German South African, I've been working and living abroad in Asia and Africa for, for a long time. Um, I think the, the, the biggest, for me, the biggest positive change was to do the Masters in Global Environmental Change and Policy in the 90s, because it said exactly what it does on the tin. It was a cross-section cross between policy, research, um, and, and finance, if you will, and, and business. And I've always been a firm believer that it's 
these are different approaches and different lenses that can benefit from from each other and particularly if you want to if you focus on sustainable development then and the challenges we've, we're facing a, a multi-sectoral approach with different skills from different sectors i find really beneficial and i've seen this you know in, in our day-to-day -day work with our team um very complementary and and leading us to hopefully taking better decisions than if we were just apply one lens uh, to the work that we do and i saw you worked for a while at sustainable asset management we actually had your former colleague rita ringer on an earlier episode of the podcast and he was talking a lot about the earlier days of sustainable investing and often how hard it was to actually convince anyone to invest in you as someone who has also been interested in this for quite a while what's it been like witnessing this change in attitudes and has it actually made your job now in venture philanthropy easier the wider sort of esg movement in my personal experience i've witnessed the positive impact that financial markets can actually have on on helping to affect positive change and i'm referring to when living in south africa during the 80s it was actually the ethical investment movement uh, in the states that uh, deployed these sanctions, which were the very big economic factor for the apartheid regime um, to fail um, and to shift, shift away. And, and what I've always believed in is that there, is, there shouldn't be a, ideally a difference between your personal values and the value that is being created. So in my personal journey, I started in ethical investing because partly of, of that experience. Um, but I was always looking for more like are we using really capital to uh, meet the future challenges that we're facing? Are we deploying capital into innovative solutions and towards a uh, more integrative kind of social economy, if you will, that is now the terms net zero and nature positive uh, all are emerging. But what I've seen is going from ethical investing to sustainable investing or responsible investing to sustainable investing one hallmark was uh, while we were working together with Reto at the team at SAM, and this was 22 years ago, is this wasn't as much focusing on the risks, but more importantly on the opportunities that arise from material, environmental and social challenges coming our way, and for those businesses to position themselves to actually benefit from those challenges. And while 22 years sometimes feels like a very long time, particularly if we look at the, the global challenge that we're facing, I take a lot of heart um, encouragement from the momentum that this whole approach of integrating values, environmental and social factors into investment decisions is taking. Personally, I'm, I decided to focus more on the kind of cutting edge of deploying and supporting early stage ventures um, through LGT Venture Philanthropy. Um, so really thinking about what are those new business models that, that we need um, and where can we take maximum risk with our capital to deploy those and, and support those organizations. So the mainstream is shifting. It will take a long time. But I also see with what we're witnessing at the moment, the awareness around climate change, uh, the awareness around the destruction of ecosystems, which I, which I would even say is, is greater than climate change, because even if we are um, reaching net zero, our current net zero targets depend on an intact nature um, and we are destroying nature through our economic activities. So it's becoming even more important to work in an integrated fashion between um, 
these different approaches, but integrating social and environmental issues as well into those investment decisions because the world is becoming more volatile and it gives you a completely different lens on risks, but more importantly, opportunities and allows you to identify those new solutions that we all desperately need because we only have eight summers left to meet the SDGs. Do you think we're going fast enough? No, I don't. No, I don't. And I think we will, we are way off in meeting the SDGs. I'm not saying that we, it was ever intended that, that we do a spot landing in 2030 and say we've achieved the SDGs and can now go back to doing things the way we've done. I think the, the SDGs provide a very interesting framework, a, a systemic framework, and, and we're starting to realize that things are actually even more interconnected out there, right? If you do work on climate change, that has, has an impact on, or if you work on ecosystems, that has an impact on climate, that has an impact on water, that has an impact on agriculture. Natural systems are all interconnected. Uh, and I think where I hope we are moving to is a more systemic approach, uh, a stronger focus on outcomes, and actually deploying policies and investment frameworks that accelerate this, this movement to SDGs. Because just by focusing on one SDGs, we won't, we ignore the nature that they're all interconnected. Where do you think venture philanthropy will be in 20 years then, seeing as we've talked about where you were 20 years ago? That's an, that's an excellent question. Where will venture philanthropy be? I, I think as an approach, it has its merits and it will still be around uh, because it is provides long-term financing. It focuses on organization capacity building. Um, it, it's tailored around the needs of the organization. If you and I were, were to have this interview in 20 years' time, I, I would hope that we can actually point to evidence-based behavior change on the ground that has helped form towards a more systemic shift. And I think that's, that, that's one of the, the areas that I see as sort of emerging is a much stronger focus on really proving the case. And by proving the case, I mean what does, has the positive impact really happened on the ground and what long-term behavioral change have we actually achieved? Not we as venture philanthropy, of course, but the models that, that we have supported. So in 20 years time, I would hope that there are maybe some international uh, ratings and, and not necessarily new frameworks, but hard evidence that the capital that was deployed and is deployed is, is making a direct positive impact on the ground um, with communities and beneficiaries and that it's quantifiable. And we take that, that data to make smarter decisions. I think also my mind has just pinged that you mentioned a little bit earlier your your experiences in in South Africa. How how formative was the South African element of your your background for you, especially presumably when you're you're starting not so long after the end of apartheid in your career? I would say very. You know, I've I have my ancestors were German. And so I, I would say in my, in my personal upbringing, not only was there the element to deal with what happened in Germany, um, but also actually growing up in South Africa at that time as a teenager, recognizing only afterwards how privileged we were. Um, but what, what always occurred to me while traveling as well, when we were living in South Africa, that we, we can't live in an unjust society. Um, and this is around equity and equality. And it's also about respect, ultimately. 
Um, and I think that somehow sits very deep um, and is, is a key driver for me to make sure through, through, my, through the work that we are allowed to do through LG Venture Philanthropy is, is to make those contributions to more a just world and, and also contribute to um, strengthening and saving the web of life. And those are interconnected, right? You can't have one without the other. And you have some projects now in South Africa, presumably as part of LGT or not so much? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, we have a number, actually. We have an organization called Harambi, uh, which was set up a couple of years ago to actually address the huge youth unemployment issue in South Africa, um, focusing on skilling of unemployed youth, both in the formal and the informal sector. And they've now been uh, appointed the kind of pathway manager at a national scale in South Africa. So not just a small job employment program in downtown Johannesburg and Gauteng, but really around at a national scale. Uh, we have another organization called Smart Start, which focuses on early child education, uh, and it empowers local women that run children's groups to do that with the best kind of techniques and material that is available, both formal and informal as well, and they start doing that at a national level. So I, th I think these two exemplify quite nicely the, the kind of ambition level that we have and the models that we look to support that, you know, not just focusing on one school or 10 schools, but ultimately really at a national level and working hand in glove with government so that government is able to deploy those innovative solutions. Okay. Thank you very much, Oliver, for coming to speak to me today. And you mentioned what it will be like in 20 years if we had an interview in 20 years. Well, maybe we'll have to have a follow-up um, in 20 years' time. So thank you very much. Fergus, thank you very much for the invitation. And I look forward to that interview in 20 years.